This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got another great guest per usual. This guest I've met recently at a conference in Atlanta and look forward to hearing more of his story. I've met him uh, and talked to him about a few times, but for the rest of you, please help, him, help me welcome my guest, Tim Woodbridge. Tim, thanks for coming on, man. Heard. Thank you so much, man. It was so great to meet you. I've been, you know, listening to your podcast for a while. So it was like a, it was like meeting rock stars that I've been following at Seco. You know, it was it was a good time. Oh well, I, I don't know that I would consider myself a rock star. Um, I don't even listen to rock music, and I'm not really a star. But thank you. In my in my little in my little bubble of the mobile home park world, uh, it is nice to meet people who have who appreciate the the content. And today you're part of that content. So excited to hear your story. Uh, I've heard it obviously offline, but for, for those that haven't, why don't you give us your background and how you got an MH? Oh, sure. Um, so I was a nurse for a while and, you know, I went into nursing because it's safe and because it's a, a you know, you'd always have a job is what everyone told me. Um, and I did. And I was, I was always wanting like more, you know, I remember being in school and being like, oh, I can't wait till I graduate and then everything's going to be good. And then it happened and I was like, oh, this isn't everything that I wanted. Uh, so, you know, like so many real estate investors, I stumbled upon rich dad, poor dad. I mean, I wasn't raised financially smart, uh, but I read it and like, you know, maybe six years ago and asset liability, these are new terms to me at the time. And so I was like, oh, okay. So this is how people do it. And from there, you know, I, I read a lot. And so I looked at a ton of different things a lot and, you know, got into bigger pockets, listening to a lot of that and figuring out like, okay, I, I know I want to do real estate. I don't know exactly what I want to do. And that led me to listening to Frank Rolfe, you know, the OG Frank Rolfe on uh, the bigger pockets podcast. And he's uh. like, you know, I love it. I love it because, you know, your expense ratio is low. Your tenants usually own their own home. You know, your tenants are sticky and it's like a win-win. It's, you know, the one of the last uh, or if not the last um, non-subsidized affordable housing out there. And so it, and plus it was a little bit weird. It was it was different. It was off the beaten path. You know, everyone was doing wholesaling or or flipping or, you know, whatever, single family rentals, apartment rentals, all that. And this was a little bit different and it just, it grabbed me. So I did a deep dive into it and uh, yeah, you know, learned everything I could, but more took action than anything. Like I, I, you know, Frank said, check out mobile home park store because his partner, you know, it's his partner's website. And so I did looked all around Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm, uh, living. And, you know, I found one. And I mean, I just just took action. I didn't know everything. And I still don't know everything. But I know the direction I want to go. No, that's great, man. No, there used to be a, I can't remember who said the quote, but I heard it may have been Rudolph Giuliani when I heard him speak. But he said, um, you can have results or you can have excuses, but you can't have both. 
and you got to take action. Um, and a lot of people, you know, doesn't do any good. I, I have one friend in particular who's, uh, he's brilliant and he knows everything and he's read every finance book ever made, but he doesn't take any action. So he's still broke. He's smarter than 99.9% .9 of the population, except he hasn't taken the action. So you're, you're, you're making the, you know, great bet on yourself and great action, obviously entrepreneurs. That's cool. What, so what are you reading now? Or what are some, what are some of the books that have, you know, I'm a big reader myself. So I'm curious, what books have you read that are um, especially valuable? So, I mean, the latest that was really good was 10X is, what is it? 10X is easier than 2X Yeah. Uh, by uh, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. Um, I mean, you know, their, their body of work, their who, not how, like all that yeah. stuff is, is amazing. And um, I love the 10X is easier than 2X. Uh, mostly it's, you know, you, like you, I think of 2X and I'm like, so I, I was on a podcast last year, I think, and uh, they said, you know, what's the next year look for you? Are you, you know, going to double what you're doing? And I'm like, I don't want to double what I'm doing because that's too much work. Like, I'll be too busy. It, it'll kill me, you know? And I said, I don't know what it looks like exactly, but I know that I want to work less. And so reading their book, it's like, figure out the things that move the needle and you know figure out systems to 10x it you know you can't you can't work your way into 10x you can't like 10x your workload because it's right. it's not possible and so i i love stuff like that you know like uh simplify your life and get more done by doing less that's me for the last six months and it's really working no that's great that's inspiring I've read who not how I've not read the 10 X because I'm, I'm familiar that I got about 30 books in my, in my queue. I'm actually in front of it, but not that I've even ranked them all in order, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously some wise, um, wise nuggets there. I mean, I've really been myself the last uh, six, six plus months focusing on written processes, um, systems, and then also the people that are going to help build those because um I tell I told my CFO one day or more than once, but there are lots of guys out there that have uh, twice as many parks or twice as many sites and twice as much net worth as me. And obviously some guys 10x and 100x of that. But I'm like, I know none of those guys are 10 times smarter than me. And I really know none of those guys work 10 times harder than me because there's just not enough hours in the day or week to do that so they're doing something different than me and maybe they're just luckier but maybe they're not maybe they're doing something that is a, a hack and the who not how and the 10x's the systems is you know they're not 10 times smarter than me but they have 10 people who are 90 percent as smart as me okay well now they can they're really moving the needle right or you know so on so on so uh yeah that's good stuff for sure well, tell us, tell me some of your, some of your acquisitions and some of your operations. What are, you know, what's your, what's your, your style or what's your type of preferred property and, and what are some lessons you've learned along the way on it? Um, so I get, it's been, it's been what, it's been about two years since you've been in the game. Four years, four years, almost okay. four years since I closed my first park. Yeah. Okay. Got it. But I mean, so I closed my first park and then nothing more. And then two years after the first park, I got the second, a year later, I got the third. And then this year I've closed six, uh, about to close a seventh and hopefully an eighth by the end of the year. Nice. Um, so I like, I like creative deal structure and like it, 
it just gets me excited. I like that's part of my personal values. You know, uh, one of my five core values is creativity. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just it it really gets me excited when it's like, okay, how can we create this good win win? Um, I'm not good at uh like back and forth and like me versus you. I'm really good at me and you versus the problem of how you how you can sell this deal to me um so that's you know over the past few years i've I've really been like oh they want this price that's crazy i would never pay that and and like i grumbled to myself and you know i put an offer out and it it's rejected because it's low because you know it, again it's me versus them this year i'm like okay well how can i get them their price like you know, interest rates are where they are, uh, whatever, you know, but at the, at the end of the day, it's all what's, what's my net operating income minus what's all my debt service. And I include in my debt service, like pref to investors too. So I want to make sure everything's taken care of and I'm controlling, what is it? Managing the downside and mm -hmm. letting the upside take care of itself. Uh, so yeah, it's just, you know, I, I know the asset, I know how to run it. Um, and it's like, okay, like, I know how this is probably going to be. I know the potential upside, but also I'm not going to negative cash flow ever because I really like sleeping well at night. And that first park I had, holy, sh oh my gosh, like many, many nights I woke up in the middle of the night, like I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And, you know, I was a nurse, so it's not like I didn't make good money, but it's not like I was rich. And, you know, there was a lot of things putting on my personal credit card and I don't know how I'm going to, you know, set up these homes and blah, blah, blah. But like, like, okay, I know what I don't want. I know how I don't want to be. So let's figure out how I can, you know, make this a win-win for me and the seller um, where I'm not losing any sleep. <laughs> That's a good strategy. I mean, yeah, kind of you, somewhere in there you referenced you know what you don't want to do or know what you don't want. I think that's important. I was just telling somebody yesterday. Um, it's the deal that you don't do that makes your career, not the deal that you missed. So it's like, or, or even the ones you do do often get times. It's just, um, if you buy one bad deal, it could really crush you. And if you got, you know, you, not just crush you completely, but um, I know, for example, uh, parks with small lots are problematic because it's hard to infill and if the home eventually burn down or die then you're not going to fill it back up so some of those parks you know, and smaller homes you get smaller lower quality houses typically and then they're less expensive so then you get lower often lower quality residents well then it's hard to turn the park around and because you have a lower quality park you're going to have a harder time increasing rents and or selling the park at some point to an end buyer at an attractive cap rate. So it's like, okay, just one little variable, small lots, makes me a little more concerned than a lot of people. Um, so I've learned that, you know, and we've all learned, you know, you know, I've I got a lot of park on homes. I don't love them, but they're part of the game. I, in an ideal world, I'd have zero, but that's not realistic for me. So especially if I do infill, so I have lots of park on homes. Um, now I can, where I can make some decisions as the front end is if I, like I had a park recently, somebody tried to bring to me, is like 120 sites, like 118 park owned homes from 1970. 
I'm like, oh man, that it sounds like a nightmare. Um, and you know, the amount of capital and manpower to fix all those is going to be more than I wanted to tackle. So I kind of learned what I don't want, um, and, and you know, make decisions accordingly. Those those nineteen seventies homes makes it difficult. I mean, like, sure you can rent to own or lease with an option or whatever to the tenants, but yeah, I don't. I probably wouldn't look at that deal um, because of how how much of a, of a headache it would be. Like, sure, it it's like you know I talk to some people. And they'll be like, oh, like this asset class or this asset class or whatever, like you're going to make a ton of money. And I'm like, bro, I don't need to make a ton of money. I need to uh, live well. I need to enjoy my life. I need to not be stressed because I don't care. I, I don't want to be the, what what is it? The, the Steve Jobs or the whoever who's making billions of dollars, but like who sleeps four hours a night. And it's like, that's not the lifestyle I want. You know, I want to live comfortably i want to be happy i want to have time for everything in my life and like work is just one part of my life work what is it they say you know you have all these balls to juggle you got family your values your whatever your relationships uh, uh your health and work and work is the only thing that's rubber everything else is glass so you know i might be a little bit slower than other people and i might be a little bit less rich than other people but I'm going to be happy for what I want. No, that's, that's, yeah, I've heard that exact same analogy. It's, that's good stuff. I mean, um, just recognize what you want, how you're going to get there and, you know, turning down a certain deal it could be part of it. I mean, I've turned down deals where I could make money and I've had, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, you, you finally learn to say like, I don't need it or want it that bad. I did at one point. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. But be, I don't need it as bad as I did then. You know, I mean, I remember the first time I sold ancillary ground off one of my parks. It was like seventeen thousand dollars, and I was my first park. And I'm like, this is a life changing amount of money, seventeen thousand dollars. And then the bank said, and we'll take that. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? This isn't the park. This is the two acres next to the park. It's a separate real estate parcel. They're like, yeah, but you bought it together and it's part of the collateral on the loan. And I was just like, yeah, but the loan was based on the income of the park. And they go, but that was collateral. So I learned the hard way what a release price is. Um, so I was just telling somebody this story yesterday. I mean, so the, you know, the lesson learned is I now tell the park, hey, I don't want to tell the bank, I don't want any lien on the ancillary ground. So Instruct the appraiser, who's very impressionable, instruct the appraiser just to value the income from the park, parcel number one. And what do you know? The appraisal almost always hits the number plus one to two percent. And so just enough to make the loan go through, even if you're buying the deal at 60 cents on the dollar, you only you don't get the dollar. You get the 61 cents um, on the appraisal is how it seems to work because appraisers are cheap and they don't want to take any put their neck out there. Um <laughs> But uh, anyway, that works out really well that now I have no release price in the land. And then I, if you get if park on homes are not a huge portion of the deal, you can have no release price in the park on homes. And then you get a nice windfall. I just had one sell the other day and like, hey, here's a check for 30 grand. I was like, what's that for? Oh, we sold a home. Oh, that one didn't have a line of credit. That one didn't have a, a guidance loan. This one was it, it was a debt free. And why is it debt free? It's not because we bought it cash. It's because it came with the park, but mm -hmm. it was not part of the collateral. So it was equivalent of, you know extra materials and then we eventually sold it windfall of cash so uh you know there's a little 
lesson learned in there, I guess. But um, uh, I know what I don't like, and it's the bank taking my taking my my sales proceeds as in prepaying principal further faster than I prefer. So, oh, like so on my that I had a similar thing where on my first park, which I mean I still have my first park. I love it. It's doing really well. Um, but yeah, you know, it's all individually deeded parcels, but we're running a, as a mobile home park. So it's all these quarter acre lots. And I sold one to a guy who was, you know, living in the park who had bought other ones in the past. And I was like, oh man, you know, we're selling it for 16 or 17,000. I don't remember something like that. But I was like, this is going to be a nice cushion for our operating account. And we'll take a little bit. Ha ha ha. That's amazing. And then, you know, the, the, the closing attorney is like, what's the bank say? And I was like, what do you mean? What's the bank say? And he's like, <laughs> well, you got to get a release. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, sure. you know, my my bubble was popped pretty quickly, but like, it's like, whatever, like, okay. Emailed the, the bank and I was like, hey, you know, we're getting this much. And he's like, give us $10,000 towards your loan and you can keep the seven. And I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I remember, so I bought the first park and it was, super super tight super something i would not get into again but man it did me a lot of well a lot of good because i learned a ton um I learned a lot about bringing homes in and whatnot but you know we refied and i was like counting the dollars i was like oh they're totally going to give us 70 percent uh uh like of the current value and like the value uh more than doubled from what we paid for it right so it's like oh we're going to get so much money. This is going to be amazing. Maybe we'll go buy another park with this. Ha 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 ha. And then, you know, I talked to the bank and he's like, oh yeah, we'll give you like 50% LTV. And sure, I could have talked to other banks and whatnot, but they already, they already knew the park. And I was like, you know, I don't need the money. It was just me thinking I was going to be rich because at that time that would have been rich. Um, but I was like, okay, you know what? That's how about we keep the low LTV and just have more cash flow so yeah i got it i got a story i'll share that's a good tip for our listeners on similar where i had tried to refinance at my bank several times on a couple of parks and they said we don't do cash out refinances we don't like it you know we want you to skin the game like oh come on <laughs> and at the time i didn't have another banking relationship um but then i did um, later on so i went to the banker and i said hey i got this park you know the park you got the loan on it you know um i bought it for a million I owe 700. It's probably worth 2 million. I, so I, I like the park. I'm thinking about selling it. They're like, Oh really? You're going to sell it for it's a good deal. It's a good park. I go, I know. They go, we like having your, you know, having your $700,000 loan. You're always making your payments. And well, if you got to sell it, sell it. Well, here's why I'm calling. I got this guy. His name's Tim. Tim's thinking about buying it from me for 2 million. I mean, he thinks it's fair and it'll appraise at 2 million. But Tim doesn't have a loan lined up. Would you guys want to make the loan? I know you guys are going to lose my loan, but you might as well sell to Tim. It's actually a bigger amount. You yeah. guys are in the business of lending money. Tim's trying to borrow money. What do you say? Will you make Tim a loan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll probably make Tim a loan. Like, what are you, what, like million five? Yeah, yeah, 75% LTV. We'll do that in a minute. Um, I go, now, Tim's not as strong as me financially. This is his first park. Not as good an operator. No, no, it's a good asset, and we believe in it, and we'll lend to Tim. Okay. Okay. So you're going to give Tim a million five, even though he's less experienced than me, even though he doesn't know the asset like I do. And it's his first park and he has less net worth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, great. I said, thank you. I'll let Tim know. And I call back the next day. 
hey, the deal with Tim fell through, but I'd like to do a cash out refinance. I'll take that $1.5 million loan. And you go, oh, no, 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 you can't do that for you. It's a refinance. <laughs> we only do 50% refinance. Mm. I said, so wait a second. I've been with you guys for years and you're going to give an inferior borrower a better deal than me? I guess I should go take it to the other banks in town. Maybe they'll refinance and get the new business. And he goes, let me get back to you on it. So we, <laughs> long story short, it eventually worked. And that's how I did it. I set it up like that. You know, and I got a new, I got the refinance loan that I needed. And I put half a million dollars or more than that, actually, but about half a million dollars in my pocket um, and and so on. And then another way you can pull it off too is you, the bank, if you, sometimes you got to go through committee or typically you got to go through committee for a refinance, but you can do a, you know, what's called a change in terms and you keep the same loan in place. You just modify the principal amount or you modify the interest rate, but you keep the loan in place. So if it's a five-year loan, you may have already burned off 18 months. So that's not ideal, but you can, you can get approvals sometimes because the vice president has discretion on a change in terms, whereas they don't on a new loan that has to go through committee. That's good, man. I'll have to, I'll have to remember that. It's worked um, for me a couple of times. Um, so, all right, good stuff. So, what what else what else do you want to share, Tim? Particularly, what, part of your journey. What's um something you particularly like or don't like about parks, or or some sort of tip you'd like to share? Oh man, uh, so tip I'd like to share. So it kind of <coughs> piggybacks off of what we were saying. Um, you know, for everyone who's like, oh, I'm gonna spreadsheet this to death. It's like you got to take action because I was spreadsheeting that refi to death, and then it came back at fifty percent. And so, like, like. Numbers can look amazing in a spreadsheet. They could look awful in a spreadsheet, but until you take action, it's it it's not real. You know, it's just you playing fantasy. So like take action, you know, put that LOI out, talk to a lender, see see what it's gonna realistically be, and you know, formulate things as as you're going, you know. Like don't don't let because something looks awful, don't let that stop you from putting an offer in. Um and an offer that makes sense to you, you know, sure, someone wants 3 million, but what makes sense to me because of interest rates and because of the investor capital I need to raise, it only works for me at one and a quarter. Sure, that's a super low offer, but I got a reason to, to you know, I'm not just trying to be a jerk. I, I'll talk to the broker. I'll talk to the seller. This is my reason, you know, if Hopefully, and again, it's me getting on the same side with them. Hopefully I'm wrong in my numbers and they can be like, well, actually, this is what it would be and or this is what it'd be. And I'd be like, oh, dude, sweet. I yeah, I can actually pay you your price because I was wrong. I don't know about that wrong, but you know, it's it's take that action because everything else is fantasy up until then. Um, let's see what let other me, questions. Yeah, let, let me let me I got a couple of comments on let me jump on that because um, what I do sometimes with brokers, in particular with sellers, is is tell them, tell me where I'm wrong. So I'm going to give you some assumptions. I'm assuming that the rent that's 300 can only be increased to 330 reasonably next year. So I'm not, I'm not assuming 400. Okay, I'm assuming I can only infill one home a month and probably none for three months in the winter. So I'm only going to infill nine homes. So you know, tell me where I'm wrong, and then I and then I they'll be like, well, okay, okay, and I go, okay, so okay, so okay, so based on that, that's way different than your OM that acts like I can take rent to 400 and I can just fill the 12 lots immediately mm. um, on day one. By the way, I couldn't even do it in year one, perhaps. And you know, this market can't support new homes, so I got to do used homes. I got to source those. Your guy didn't bring any new homes, and he had specifically said he always likes the 90s models because it fits his customer. Blah blah blah. 
and then you basically get them to affirm your assumptions. But then for yourself, um, you really got, and you, you, I love your comment about Excel because you probably heard me say this, but there's more, more fiction is written in Excel than word. <laughs> and, and the reality is people have these rosy assumptions. And another thing that I like to say about Excel is in the history of Microsoft Excel, no business plan ever ended in bankruptcy. <laughs> right. Everybody puts in their assumption. It always ends up with some rebel return that they that they accept. And it never says bankruptcy. Right. It always mm -hmm. has a worthwhile, desirable result. And maybe there's a sensitivity analysis, but it doesn't end in bankruptcy. But if you look in real life, business plans end in bankruptcy every single day. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not yours. Maybe it's not mine. But it might be yours. It might be mine. So we should probably we should probably pressure test our assumptions a little bit. And mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, the thing about an Excel is, um, you know, I'm relatively good at Excel and I'm relatively good at assumptions. But every single deal I've ever performed has been wrong. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. But the Excel is only a, a snapshot of what you think will happen in the future. And I've, it's never going to be exactly on. So then you guess, okay, is it going to be better or going to be worse? Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and sometimes there's things in your control sometimes there's things that's not uh, i don't know i had infill plans that got delayed when COVID hit and we couldn't buy homes nothing i could really do about that um, but i was wrong and then wrong downward you know as far as my infill plans on some of those parks um, no i was luckily you were able to increase rent more because we're in an inflationary environment so we've made up some ground um, but there's that so anyway so thanks for letting me respond. Um, I, I'd say also for anyone who's new and who's afraid, like, oh, this could happen, this could happen. Yeah, it probably will. There will probably be some bad things that happen. Um, I'd say for me, I have faith in myself and my team and my ability to ask others in how to figure it out. There's going to be things that come up that you couldn't plan for. So no amount of like plan as much as you can, but also accept that it's not going to be 100% accurate and that you're going to have to figure stuff out. You're going to have to pivot. You're going to have to move with the deal. Yeah, I think one thing that people with experience, more the people with more experience add to their budget is contingency and and or reserves um i know just me personally uh there was no contingency in my first budget you know there was, there was no reserves in my first budget um i was looking at one the other day and it was i had fifteen thousand in contingency and i'm like why did i only put fifteen thousand in that you know like but it, it was 15 it used to be zero like yeah. i should have had 25 contingency and then obviously if you have firm bids on stuff you need less contingency um, if I if I'm doing the road work in house, I probably need more contingency than if I got a fixed bid from the biggest asphalt company in that town, because then it's going to be right on pace with that bid, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. assuming I do it in a certain time frame. You know. God, yeah, I had a, a capital line from my bank for my first park, and like, it wasn't much, and it was uh went to nothing soon i mean it's not like it went to nothing but we we got all that money out because we needed um but yeah i definitely had no contingencies uh no capex nothing like i said i was putting stuff on my personal credit cards now 
I, again, it's, I sleep better when I got money in the bank and I'm not like, am I going to be able to pay my bills? That, that, it's not a fun place to be, but I was there. I figured it out. Yeah. And one thing I remember the construction guy told me this, we were, I used to work at County government. We were building, well, this it was the sports complex for the chiefs and the Royals. The County owns the land and then leases them to the teams. And there was a major, I mean, major hundreds of millions of dollars renovation that was planned. And one of the estimate estimators for the big construction company told me this. He said, the problem with the pro with any construction project is not a misprice, but a missed price. Oh. And I never thought about it like that. He's like, we know you need a parking lot for the chief stadium. You know, we're not going to be off by 30%. But if we don't know that there's a 30 foot, you know, pipe below there for the, you know, city water main, and we got to relocate it, missing that is going to be a price that's going to change the budget by millions of dollars. So you got to really do your diligence and have a lot of line items. My budget has, I don't know, 25 standard line items where it's like, see some of these OMs from brokers and it's like, taxes insurance management general administrative and i'm like there's four cost items i'm like does it snow there where's snow plow does it does it do you have grass there where's mowing just do that like, oh that's in general okay you have trees you know do you have blah 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 um so mm -hmm. the more well, detailed the you can be the more detailed you are the less likely you're going to miss something yeah uh, the, the tax stays like about the same. And you're like, this guy bought it at $500,000 and you're trying to sell it at 3 million. You think the taxes are going to stay the same? <laughs> See, I, I actually can say yes in a lot of those cases because I have a lot of tax appeal experience, but I, I'm more aggressive on uh, things like that with taxes than most because I've, I've got expertise in that particular lane. But yeah, I, I agree that that's like, come on, you know, and sometimes they'll disclose it. Like, oh, taxes are not adjusted at all. B buyer to do their own diligence. And like, well, what what state is it? What county is it? What's the reassessment cycle? Is it a sales verification state? What's the appeal process? Are there other parks in the county that I could use as discrimination examples? You know, do other professional owner operators own the county or not? You know, um, just put that in the hopper. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny that the level of quality you get from different brokers we we have one broker in particular that we we don't even respond to anymore because he it's he wastes our time he'll be i got a great park it's 80 pads 60 full and um they want two man i'm like okay what's the rent i don't know <laughs> go figure it out okay and it's 60 full oh no, no sorry that was a different deal this deal's got 30 full i said 30 of 80 he goes no no this is a 30 of 100 so there's 70 vacant well unless you count the houses what there's okay well there's houses included yeah well except on the rv section like wait a second is it an rv park well, the expansion ground is like, okay, dude, like you, you need to have like the basic, like 10 or 12 data points. You're, you're like literally in this business. You should know this. Go get those and then bring it to me. Maybe even a rent roll. Hmm. You know, I might ask you if the water is city water or private water. So you might want to get ready for that. And then, and then I might ask you if it's included in rent or not. You know, the type of questions that 
everyone else is asking you every single day and you haven't changed is a, so these brokers some of these guys are just super lazy when you get the good ones they're like here's 30 pieces of information here's a dropbox file here's a video here's the construction bids on this here's a copy of the tax bill the utility bills they're like all right you're good so I've, i was thinking about it i was at uh, uh mhi's conference in chicago a couple weeks ago and i was curious to see how the tenants was this year so I told Nate, who's my acquisitions guy, who was with me. I said, "I bet it's going to be down because um, it's a slow year for brokers, and this is an expensive conference for them to come to." And I said, "But it's going to be down even more next year, and you're going to see a lot of different faces because, the, like this bad actor I just described, uh, he's not going to be in the business next year. No. He's going to he's going to make a big zero. Um, and I went to a dinner with the, one of the big brokerage houses, and they only had half their people there." Mm. And it's, it was because of production and, you know, Hey, look, company's not going to pay for you to go on a $4,000 weekend. Um, not that, by that much, but we're not going to pay for all this. So if you're, if you haven't made any money for us this year. Mm. Mm -hmm. hmm. so. Yeah. I, I will say um, good brokers are worth their weight in gold by far. Um, I love working with good brokers. I'm not a direct to seller kind of person. I mean, I love talking to sellers, but I'm not like going to go on the hunt. So I love working with good brokers in that they can do that and they can broker the deal. You know, they can make it, oh, hey, this is where I'm looking at. And they can maybe temper the seller's expectations or even like, okay, yeah, we can do your price, but we got to get a little creative. You know, I love having that kind of in between um, because I know that I want to make the deal work for everyone, but when I talk to sellers, and I can't blame them, sellers automatically think that I'm trying to screw them over. So it's like, okay, like I'm I'm not, but maybe I'm not yet skilled enough to tell you like or to to let it be known like I'm I, I just want to make this deal work. And so, you know, I was talking to a guy, an RV park guy, maybe a few months ago, um, and. Like the brokers gave me his number, you know, it was their, I got their blessing to talk directly with the guy and the broker's like, oh yeah, he really wants to sell. He's, you know, his wife is angry at him. He's not spending time with her. Like he's doing fine. Like his thing, he likes building parks, but he doesn't like operations. So he wants to sell it. And, uh, you know, so I call him and I'm like, hey man, you know, like, how can we kind of fix your problems? And he's like, oh, I don't have any problems sort of attitude. You know, I things are going really well here and I'm not going to sell for anything less. And it's just like met with that instant kind of hostility might be a, a little bit hard of, of a term, but it's like maybe defensiveness. And I'm like, okay, okay, well, maybe, you know, we, I need to get the broker involved more and we need to have a three-way conversation um, so it doesn't sound like I like tell me all the bad things about your park so I can try and get it for cheaper. That's that's not what I do. I want to know all the good and the bad so we can figure out how we can make this work. But I, I do love brokers. That's my shout out to all you good brokers out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, good brokers work does have a lot of value. What's frustrating to me is when you got lazy. It's more just lazy brokers. You know, it's like, come on, you know. Um, and then when they it really frustrates me is when they waste my time, like I, I had one deal, I had an under LOI, it was three parks in Iowa and they were like 
60, 80, and 100. And they were occupied, I don't know, 50, 55, and, and 99. And we had agreed upon price, went back and forth on terms of price. I got it under LOI and I used my binding LOI. So I like legit have it tied up. Then I go drive the parks. And I get there and instead of being whatever, 60, 80, 100, they're like 40, 71, and 140. And the occupancy is all off. And mm -hmm. I'm like, how can the broker be this bad? And it was a four-hour drive. I had my dad drive from Illinois. We both drove four hours to get to these parks. Dang. At all, but we were already there, so we did the DD, and we couldn't even tell at first the number of sites. So we go counting them, and we'd like, did we really miss the count by nine? Nah, we drive the other direction. We walk it. We but we count independently, and we're like, this guy's data is wrong. So we, but they were nice parks, so we liked them, and we were we were we had to revisit the price. So I get back and I tell the broker. Hey, the data's off. We need to uh, get the accurate data. And oh, because also there were like six really nice homes with garages and like wow, like camp campers. Like oh. they had, the house was double wide, but then there was also an RV. It was like an eighty thousand RV. I'm like, these are like the best tenants ever. He goes, oh yeah, those those six on that street are individually parceled off, and he already sold them. Uh, oh, by the way, you have to you have to reseal the roads no less than every four years, or they can sue you. I'm like, okay. So anyway, <laughs> I um, I said we just need to revisit the price, get all the data, and but I'm very interested. And he gets back to me. He goes, the seller talked to his business partner, and he doesn't want to sell, and then they both have to agree. So never mind, bro. <laughs> so I'm like, what? So now I have I have like significant time into this deal. And it's not for sale. And I have a contract that ties it up, but you know, it was signed by a person that wasn't authorized. So it's not like I gave him sued in force. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can't enforce. So like that really frustrated me. Right. And that broker sends me more deals and they're like a two cap. And I'm like, just quit, just quit selling sending these to me. Stop, bro. <laughs> yeah. So anywho. All well, right, Tim. What, what are, any, any other tips or tricks before we go? Let's see, tips or tricks. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. I already said the taking action thing. Um, uh, I mean, stay away from lagoons and wastewater treatment plants, right? But everyone knows <laughs> that. I'm actually working on an RV park with a surprise lagoon. Um, and that's, we'll see, bro. We'll see. If it was just the lagoon, we'd figure it out. But there's a couple other things that are off. So we'll see. It's it's not a hard no, but it's it's a weird surprise because it's usually a hard no, you know. Um, I mean, just accept that you're not going to know everything, you know. Anyone who's who's new who wants to get into it, like hook up with someone who's who's done it already, um, and accept that there's going to be differences in what you think it's going to be, and that's okay because that's life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, good. I mean, obviously, it's also. It's considerably, I think, considerably easier today to be in the know because of in, the internet and podcasts. I mean, I remember when I was a financial analyst in 2008, there was nothing online about internal rate of return and really understanding the metrics and all the details in that. I knew the formula in Excel, right? Everybody did equals IRR, open parent, select data, close parent, enter. 
okay, I, great, but I didn't really understand the return on and return of investment and the cash inlays and outlays and timing of such. I didn't understand what a monthly versus an annual was doing. So I had to research. Mm -hmm. It was hard to research. Well, now, I mean, I just covered more in the last 30 seconds on that than was available on the internet 15 years ago when I tried to learn it. Um, and if you look at MH, when I started learning it, all that was available was Frank and Dave's CDs. Yeah. And I think they had the boot camp also, but I'd learned about the CDs. And and now, I mean, look at all the podcasts. Obviously, I'm biased by mine included, but just my podcast alone has provided more free information for people to get smart on MH than existed when I started. Like you could okay. not find it, right? So for people coming in today, you have you have more competition than I did because because of this. But as far as like you, you know, not you you've started several years ago, but somebody that starts tomorrow does not have the same level of excuse that I could have had, you know, 10 years ago. So it's a matter of just put in the effort, take that action as you mentioned, but put in the effort and then and you know, network, et cetera. You know, hire experts, find partners on the things that you don't know. I mean, I know I know enough about a wastewater treatment plant to be dangerous, but <laughs> I'm not going to base my evaluation on my own opinion. I'm going to go hire an expert. Mm -hmm. um, and I killed the deal. Um, Phil Merrill, who's been on here, he was uh, the podcast. He came to Iowa with me and tested this treatment plant in Lagoon and found out it was uh, insufficient in size and it didn't have a proper permit. So, <laughs> so the whole thing, and then, and, and unfortunately, part of the reason he found that out is he had to talk to the state. So then guess what? The seller called, or well, we dropped the deal. The seller mm. calls pissed, mm -hmm. turned me into the state. Like, no, we didn't turn you into the state. We inquired the state to verify that your permit was legitimate and it's not. So yes, the state is now aware that you are running a lagoon and treatment plant that is not approved. So you think well they're coming on wednesday two days from now to red tag us i was like well sorry not sorry i like i had to, i had to know um, yeah so anyway there's 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 certain level of resources you can do yourself and you can get smart on but then you gotta you gotta call into pro occasionally um so you know anyway i agree you know it's, it takes time can you know tony robbins says can i that I like continuous and never-ending improvement mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. if you're not if you're not climbing up that mountain clawing every inch you're gonna fall down there's no plateau you got you, you got to you keep getting smarter you're gonna just get dumber because mm -hmm. because because the industry is going to change the times are going to change and you're going to be back you know using a flip phone uh and ms dos instead of today's you know new widgets yeah yeah no ai going back to ms dos yeah. indeed um yeah it's it's <sighs> It, it is, you know, you, you definitely got to change with the times. And, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about interest rates and like, oh, all on market deals, like there's, there's no deals to be had. And it's like, bro, you got to make the deals. You don't, in my experience, I don't find deals. I make deals. I see what's there. I see how it can work. And I put the offer out and I hear so many no's and so many like, I was talking to a broker yesterday and I've got to look, relook at this deal because he's like, yeah, it's selling for like three and a half million. It's whatever, 100 sites, 50 are occupied and lot rents, 
250 we'll say rough numbers right and i'm like bro like off the top of my head i can even like i can already see it's going to be way 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 lower unless they get creative with me and so you know i'll put an offer out and i'll have reason like for my numbers this is again i don't negative cash flow so this is why i have to give you this offer i'll still put the offer out even though he said they're not looking to carry any paper they're not looking no one ever wants to finance until you make the offer what i do i do you know here's cash all cash at close here's seller carrying an equity position here's you know owner finance with 10 percent down maybe they work maybe they don't like i hear no all the time that's fine but this is what can, can can reasonably work. This deal's been on the market for a while, so who knows? You know, maybe it'll work. Maybe they'll tell me to kick rocks. But either way, I'm not like waiting for deals to come to me. I'm talking to brokers. I'm looking on Crexy. I'm looking on Mobile Home Park Store. I'm looking to see what's there. I'm making the offers, and then I'm following up. So it's it's don't overcomplicate it. How about that for for people who are new? Just don't overcomplicate it. All right, good stuff, Tim. Hey, where can people find you if they want to reach out after this episode? Um, Instagram, Tim.Woodbridge, Facebook, Tim.Woodbridge 54-ish, maybe. I don't know. I, I I keep my life simple. I mean, I got all the same Facebook from forever ago. Um LinkedIn, I don't even know what I am on LinkedIn, but like y'all, if you want to talk a little bit more, I love helping people out. So like calendly.com slash Woodbridge Capital. You know, let's have a conversation, um, you know, reach out to me. I have like made like a really quick little like MH, MHP basics video on Loom uh, just because everyone's like, tell me more about mobile home parks. I was like, why don't I just make this basic Loom video and send it to people? And, you know, I, I, I really want to like help people. I really enjoy helping. I really enjoy working with other people and like having them understand this interesting asset class. So I'm always down for a conversation. Tim, sounds good. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for appreciate it, man. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.